1: Welcome back to New Persuasive Words.
2: I'm Bill Bohr. And I'm Scott Jones. And first of all, before we get started, I want to do a shout out uh, to a little girl who's going to be going under surgery. She's a brave little girl who's had all kinds of procedures already. Samantha Merlini, she's my uh, daughter-in-law's niece, and uh, she's having spinal fusion therapy and uh, she's had to wear a back brace ever since she was four months she's about four years old now so just putting out good thoughts towards her i'm wearing uh, even as we broadcast here team samantha t-shirt which i'll put up on resident exile if you want to know more about her please just uh, send me a note but uh, good thoughts and prayers to the merlini family
1: it's a lovely shirt too uh it is as yeah. shirts go
2: lovely little girl
1: well, yeah, please, uh, those of you who are uh, in our listening audience, that are people of faith, we ask that you lift her up in your prayers. And uh, those of you who are not, if you'd be thinking, yeah, good yeah. thoughts yeah. for a special girl. And also we want to give a shout-out to, uh, you know, our, who's been quiet uh, I, I, uh, you it know, was a holiday weekend. It was a holiday weekend. Stephen Lipples, who created a lot of uh, chatter around the, a couple episodes ago, who's really, I mean, we are still considering him as part of our um, eccentric fan um, cast.
2: Right. I, I, he is a friend of a friend of yours, but I guess I've become the object of much of his anger.
1: Yeah, most of it. And then also, we want to say thanks to those of you. Uh, Several of us share. Several of you shared some very nice things uh, about the podcast and what it's meant to you, and we're grateful for that. We're not just there are listeners that are not just trolls. <laughs> no. There are people that actually um, converse in ways that um, really show uh, affection and appreciation. Well, you is, know, we
2: we did start out with a purpose, and it's good to be reminded that occasionally we get in the in the general vicinity of that
1: purpose. Absolutely, that is definitely the case, and today. We are kind of we have a, a theme that is sort of unfolding before us as it is you. I mean, we're kind of our, our thoughts are in many different directions. Uh, so one was Bill, I was sharing with you, I just interviewed for the Mockingcast cast a woman named Alyssa Wilkinson, who was the co-author with Robert Jouster of the book How to Survive. The Apocalypse, the subtitle of which is, let's be faster if I wasn't looking on an iPad. How to Survive the Apocalypse, Zombies, Cylons, Faith, and Politics at the End of the World. Long, but good title.
2: Yeah, you know, and uh, of course, I was watching a, uh, (laughs) if Donald Trump becomes president,
1: I think... uh, (laughs) It's, It's from here to November they're not we're not going to go uh if, if Donald Trump becomes president, I will serve uh at, at the the evening of the election. I will serve cocktails and shad row
0: yeah
2: we go well anyway, you know you talk about zombies and ice walkers, my mind immediately goes to donald trump and if his current uh his <laughs> combative news conference is anything like what he will be as president, at least they will be entertaining and uh Uh, You know, one other thought, and we'll leave this, but I noticed after he went, well, I guess when he found out he got the nomination to celebrate, he was having McDonald's takeout on his airplane, and first of me thought, well, why in the world is he eating McDonald's? But then I thought product placement, and we may actually pay for the deficit during the Trump, or he'll probably just make money for himself, because you imagine different product placements in, in the White House. For instance... Right beside the the little phone where he can call and end the world, there's Advil, and he could say, "Sometimes my arthritis bothers me, and I might not be able to push the button to end the world, but I have Advil in
1: case I need that." Oh, you know, Leo Leibwitz of Unorthodox, who he compared Trump to a Happy Meal toy, that you just don't know what you're going to get. <laughs> it's, it's, you know, it could be, it could be some, a really racist toy. It could be a corporate efficient toy. We don't have no idea. It's but it's it's a strange. Um, with well, a little
2: and a little suitcase, for instance, that they carry around all the nuclear uh, codes, Gucci. There you go. Yeah, <laughs> it could be a
1: product. It could placement. be so,
2: so I think if there's money to be made off the end of the world, we may just have the right man for
1: that job. Yeah, it's a very interesting time in which we live.
2: Well, tell us about this book. I have not read it, and uh, you interviewed the author.
1: Uh, well, I mean, it's it's a book about uh, it, 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 the short the sh- short summary of it uh, is that it's a book about tell like so, television and film that's post apocalyptic, right? Which is one of my favorite genres, if not my favorite. Uh, and what it tells us about our society, and so so many of the of the things that we cons- the media we consume are post apocalyptic and kind of dystopian. Right. Like it's not a it's not a sort of positive rebirth of the world. It's it it's they're dark. Uh, and increasingly these again become the uh, the shows that uh people like we, we can't get enough of them. They do incredibly well. You know, even Game of Thrones, even though it's in a fantasy genre, it's sort of like in this, you know, there's it's a dystopian oh, right. kind yeah. of uh, unraveling of the a end, world the end uh, is near. Yeah. yeah. Winter is coming, and so part of it is that the authors think that uh, so so much of modernity, um, the individualism, the cult of reason, uh, it, it, it certain things that characterize the modern world, uh, breaking away from traditions, the sort of you know, as, as Immanuel Kant said, the uh, you know, the enlightened uh, human come of age. Uh, so much as this seems to be. Uh, 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 built on sh- uh, uh, on ground that seems like shifting sand right, right and so as the as these things become more unstable and as the modern project uh for all of its greatness and wonderful things it brings uh, also brings some things that probably uh, are things that that you know we talked about this in actually the podcast we just released about uh, online dating how modernity and the ironic detachment and try to master everything with reason can kind of demystify in the worst sense of the world. Uh, worst sense the of wor- the world. And so the a lot of these shows are seemingly, um, they're exciting and interesting, but they're pretty bleak.
2: Oh, yeah, yeah. You know, and yeah, the difference between, let's say, the classical, classical Jewish Christian apocalyptic um, that really... Seems to have arisen out of a environment of great persecution, where everything is broken down, and the only hope is if there is some heavenly warrior intervention from God. You know, it was a, it was a kind of creative literature um, that reworked all the images of the tradition before before it. There's a great book uh, by Austin Farrar that uh, not too many people know about, but to me, it's the best book. I've ever read on the Book of Revelations. And it's called the Rebirth of Images. And what you have in Apocalyptic is you have this kind of reworking of normative biblical images. But because the world is totally blown apart, those images get transformed and reworked. And they're more, other than being like allegories, they're they're a whole entity unto themselves that because what's going on is beyond reason. You you don't have any place to put it. In your well ordered approach to Torah or theology, or how the world should be, is that your imagination takes over, and some of these images are wild and crazy and monstrosities, but that's partially because you have a you have the failure of reason or even ordered faith to address what's going on and that in in some levels if if the theory holds true what you just said. This is the kind of what ha- what we have in this current apocalyptic uh, genre is a result of the breakdown of, of secular orthodoxy.
1: Yeah, and one of the things that, that and they work extensively off of um, Charles Taylor's book on secularism, which I was just saying I have not read, but everybody quotes it, so it's everybody enables me to not read it because they have all these <laughs> summaries. Uh, the best one is probably James k smith's summary i'm it's a like 120 pages or something but what like taylor point one of the things taylor points out uh allegedly uh, not that i would know but, <laughs> but if, if you trust the footnotes is that uh and it's probably true whether or not taylor uh, would put it this way but that what it means to be a modern human is there's like this obsession with authenticity mm-hmm. and, and discovering yourself right. so like you know in Apocalyptic traditions of old—that's not an, an, a, a huge value for most yeah. cultures. So, and you know, Peter Berger says, I think, in the Sacred Canopy, in the Middle Ages, you had to have real guts to be a heretic. I mean, right. and imagination, and all kinds of things. Now, in the modern period, it, it takes uh, guts uh, not to be one. I mean, like the ever, unless you're—it's the heretical imperative. Actually, I think it is from the book, the heretical imperative. But you know, there's this kind of thing. If if you S- slavishly you know mimic any kind of tradition or anything that you're not a true you know it's all got to be yours it's got to be right. your way it's got to be you know and so it's interesting that you look at the kind of television we lo- watch uh y- there's a lot less you know white hat black hat right uh and there's a lot more like breaking bad we our interest is in these characters and their authenticity and how they find themselves and if they're true to themselves, not true to sort of a tradition or a moral code, but if, if they seem like they're def- – what is neat to say? The most important thing one can have is a sense of style. <laughs> so we look for, so we look for right. those sorts of people, you know, whether it's Game of Thrones. And so, you know, the, the characters we like in Game of Thrones very often are people that – it's not – it doesn't break down morally – it breaks down on ah, oh, who's got style,
2: right? And who well, doesn't? It's really interesting if you know if you look at when did you know uh, the white hats go out of style? It was probably in the late '60s, where you know uh, Clint Eastwood might be the classic example of a bad guy who you're we actually rooted for in those movies, and you know then you have Bonnie and Clyde, you have The Godfather, uh, you have The Legend of Jesse James, all these. Anti, are all these people that would have been bad guys and actually were criminals, the one at least the ones that their the movies were based on, become the anti-hero. Well, you seem to have another move in the apocalyptic where it's not bad as good now. There's a lot of ambiguity, and it actually, on one level, to me, is more satisfying when it comes to human character because, for instance, you mentioned Game of Thrones; they're mixed. You know, there's good and bad in each person. And sometimes the noble people do the most stupid things that create all kinds of damage for other people, which is more like the real world.
1: Yeah, no, I think, yeah, I think that's true. And, you know, one of the things that's also interesting about the modern predicament is that there's this encouragement to find ourselves, right? And yet, your erode traditions and traditional kind of communities. I mean, really, you don't find yourself. Primarily through navel-gazing, right? But you sure. generally through you know, communities that have stories that are grounding kind of stories and things like that. So you, you have all this pressure to find yourself and fewer of the resources to do it right. that's than most cultures that's would have the, had.
2: No, no, That's a great insight. No, I, I would agree with that. There's a really interesting article in the New York Times today by David Brooks calling us the difference between small loves and big loves. Uh, the difference between a sense of awe and a sense of attraction to beauty, and I think he 's calling us to rediscover our big loves it 's an interesting thing i mean we've mentioned John Boehner you know John Boehner gets kind of born again because of saint or saint Francis Pope Francis I and uh, I think David Brooks is duly chastened because of the victory of Donald Trump and his version of kind of a uh, i would call it a compassionate conservatism uh There's no real place for that to be placed right now. So you almost see him going through this crisis of,
1: uh, I don't know what you would call it. Donald Trump is incredibly compassionate. I mean, he he will tell you. I mean, he's a very compassionate person. He will tell you. He will tell you. And he
2: has given millions of dollars to people less fortunate than him, I'm sure. Uh, At least he says so. We'll never know because we won't see the tax returns. Um, you know, one of the things we talked about two episodes ago, or the episode before um, last, on hell. And we talked a little bit, again, this is not to make any kind of faith, this isn't making a faith statement. This is looking about how ideas come into existence and evolve. And the idea of the last judgment, you could argue that there was a clearer view of the final judgment for evil than the reward for the good. I mean, in some levels, how, it, you know, in the book of Daniel, the backdrop of incredible terror of Antiochus the fourth and the, you know, if you believe Josephus, you know, hundreds of thousands of people died. I've never believed Josephus. No, well, he doesn't. <laughs> he, he, he may have a tendency to exaggerate. Um, but this idea that, well, you know, all these innocent people died while they were saying their prayers, and the evil, you know, they die of old age in their, in their uh, lovely castles. And so part of the idea of of God's justice having to be done, and this is the belief of there will be a resurrection of the unjust for judgment, and that you may say that that probably was clearer before heaven. But what's interesting is, what do you do of this kind of um, this kind of doctrine of apocalyptic judgment when the apocalypse doesn't happen? I mean, you have to wait, and you wait, and you wait, and you wait, and I think part of it is. Where we get hell? Hell is kind of like a timeshare for the day of judgment. But what we have now <laughs> is what we have now is there's no one keeping the gate of the gate of hell closed. So there's no real judgment. So hell is just spilled out over, and it's on our TV shows every Sunday night and other nights as well. And
1: Sunday is the night for TV. Night, really it's a- the
2: night for it is the night for hell unleashed.
1: Yeah, it's a, you know I've, it's. I what did I learn today that like a lot of networks are pushing uh the that somehow ratings a lot of ratings things go night plus day one or day two. So like oh, Monday the, so the Monday counts that the, the, right. the on demand. So like a lot of um people are pushing something like they're they're programming to Sunday, so you get the Monday bump. That's just kind of right. it's a very it's a lot a lot of stuff about what's been amazing to me too about rating systems and television, by the way, like they they could be so inaccurate and so poorly developed like because you think like everybody watches the walking dead premiere right they, oh, every time oh it's a record breaking pre- and then another record breaking number is at the finale well everybody was watching in between they just watch on they're just own. watching in different mediums right. that that they have a hard time tracking i'm like why has that not evolved it's hard to track that it can't be that hard because every Netflix knows exactly what I watch. An algorithm <laughs> predicted what I want to watch. Looks. I bet mean, it's not that hard to track. It might be expensive.
2: See, we already have the determinism of apocalyptic. Exactly, right here it is. That's part exactly. of the, that's one of the key key ingredients of uh, of apocalyptic thought, at least classical apocalyptic thought. Um, but is determinism at work in these modern apocalyptic visions? I don't. I don't think so. I mean, there seems to be. There doesn't – I mean, a, a determinism, at least in the Judeo-Christian tradition, is a movement towards something redemptive. It's a positive movement. Maybe it's determinism
1: in like the classic fatalism. Right, I was just going to say, there's fatalism, it right. seems. Uh, like in – you know, do people change and that sort of – I mean, I and think there's in a fatalism. Fatalism
2: and like at Westminster Theological Seminary, same, <laughs> same kind of fatalism,
1: yeah. <laughs> yeah, maybe. Uh you know, some of my best friends have gone to Westminster. Uh, uh. Yeah, I think that that's – the other interesting thing is I think about the sort of dystopian post-apocalyptic things. We talked in our last episode about our social media selves and these avatars. It's not just our inner self or our walk around stuff. And so, like, we almost feel overconnected sometimes. And so what happens in a lot of these dystopian things like The Walking Dead, it's back to a tribal society basically because cars are hard to find. uh, you know, there's not extensive advanced communication networks. So basically you go from overconnected to the world that is in the dystopian thing to totally unplugged.
2: That's, that's true. By the way, I think on the FEMA app, uh, they have the, uh, what you do in case of a, of a zombie apocalypse. I
1: think they put that on there to get people to download the app. But, <laughs> you, <laughs> but
2: you may want to check that
1: out. But you know what's so interesting about z- 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 zombies and walking dead, too, is that like, they are like a weather pattern. I mean, they are not Lindy and I watched this uh show called The Strain, which I can't wait till it comes back. I think it's coming soon. But it's like basically Dracula, the master of the vampires, winds up like creating a vampire takeover of New York. Oh, Actually, yeah. I, but the vampires are so scared because they're there's they've got a plan. There's a kind of and it's a real interesting fusion of sort of um a viral kind of like paras like a parasitic kind of thing and vampirism. It's really cool. But the vampire the 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 zombies in The Walking Dead are scary, like a tornado is scary, but they're not sinister. You know, they're just like they're neutral. primal. Yeah, they're, they're just, they're just like it. lizards. I mean, they're just kind of yeah, they're dinosaurs. Yeah, right, I mean, yeah. but they, I mean, you know, so they're almost like a bad weather pattern because right. they come in these flocks and these kind of herds. But you know, which is a different kind of thing. The real scary thing in The Walking Dead are people. Oh right, right. You know, that's the terrifying thing, and w- w- where you find these. People that have become uh, pretty debased when you know, and again, this is the other interesting thing about post-apocalyptic is how much, how much if we take away all the stuff that you know, stop signs, red lights, uh, fear of punishment, all these things, societal expectations, family expectations. You take all that away, how much of you is really the same? And, do, and people sometimes become uh, dreadful, awful, uh, tyrannical, bloodthirsty people. Just because there's no stop signs anyway. Oh,
2: Right. No, I, I agree. That I'm. Uh, that's. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I'm much more worried about real human beings than than any of this stuff. There was an interesting book called Omen. It was kind of a farce about the end of the world, and uh, the four uh, horsemen of the apocalypse show up, and uh, famine actually runs a modeling agency in New York. <laughs> <laughs> so he he's he's starving, he's starving, uh, particularly young women one at a time through the image of the body imaging.
1: Well, there you go. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. So, uh, you know, it's, uh, where do we go from here, Bill? Well, where is, is, is the world, <laughs> is good, the world good bad? <laughs> where, where are we at? Where are we at on the world in its well, future?
2: Well, let me say, i I think there's nothing wrong with an occasional escape,
1: all right uh, I think hey, unless I, you're those two guys in New York that got the prison guard seduced. there's something wrong with that kind all of right escape, that kind even occasional yeah, he's occasional right but escapism it's it, a man's world, by the way. I mean, it is a you talk about sexism. It's a man's world. guys can pick up chicks, marry chicks. In prison, I mean, it's a man's... Somewhere, there was a 27-year-old woman that wanted to marry Charles Manson to have his baby, you know, with kind contra- right. of... It's a man's world, dude. I mean, it really is. All
2: right, well, at least... <laughs> at least psychopath men world. But some people say that's a redundancy. But, at any rate... Uh, well, you know, I think escapism, uh, literature and entertainment, is okay if taken in small doses. But you know what struck me? Did you happen to notice what the, uh, like on uh, CNN and other news agencies throughout the weekend, what the number one top story was?
1: No. What was it? It was
2: about the shooting of the gorilla in the Cincinnati Jew. Jail. Or Jew. Jail. Yeah, it is a jail. Cincinnati Zoo. Uh, That was
1: the number one. I saw the foot. I didn't see it was the number one.
2: Well, I mean, in terms of every time I try to do a news checkup, and I'm kind of a news junkie, so – I eventually gave up on U.S. websites and just started looking at the BBC. But even in the BBC, it was down there like the sixth or seventh story. Uh, It was, you know, a a four-year-old slips into the gorilla tank. But what struck me is there's a lot of other stuff, pretty serious stuff going on in the world. For instance, you have world health officials debating whether or not the Olympics should go on in Brazil because of the Zika virus. Oh, by the way… Brazil is having a quiet revolution and a a breakdown of their entire government. Thirteen people were shot in Venezuela just because they were there. Uh, You have offensives going on in Iraq uh, that could bring a new dimension to the end of the ISIS war or something even worse. I'm just naming a few of these things right now. Um, And yet the number one concern least of the people that were whoever decides what should be the lead article on CNN was the outcry about the death of the gorilla. Now, again, I think it's tragic that the gorilla was killed. I think it's even more tragic that humans are making that species go extinct, but that's a whole other story, right? But, you know, of all the things that are going on in the world, uh, that may not be the most important. Can you celebrate, though, that it displaced Chewbacca? Mom? Yes, I can celebrate that. Which, But but can I—I I think in some levels we get worked up. For instance, you know, I mean, we all were sad that watched Game of Thrones at Hodor die, but we respected his noble sacrificial death. Well, <laughs> you know, they passed the law in Pakistan, or at least they, it's not a law, but it's a a religious advisory to the government that— it's okay, or it's advisable to beat your wife as long as you use a small stick. Now, that's what's going on in the world a little bit. Those are pretty big issues that are out there. Uh, the fact that, by the way, I don't mean to panic you, but uh, uh, good news, bad news, okay? Uh, the bad news is that there is a strain of bacteria now that is resistant to any antibiotics. I'm uh, Not bacteria, I'm sorry, virus. All right? The good news is they won't turn you into a zombie. It'll just kill everybody. So at least we won't have to deal with zombies. But these are real things going on out
1: there. How do we know they won't come back as zombies?
2: Well, that's true. We don't know that. There's a football field of irritable land being lost to the water, the rising of the sea, every day. So... Uh, I just think we
1: need to... You're bumming me out, dude. <laughs> You're really bumming me out. All right, all right. You know, to cheer up, let's go watch zombies eat people. <laughs> you know what? I, I might just go get a Chewbacca mask. The <laughs> but, Chewbacca mom's mask, it, I, it is kind of... It does make a cool sound. Like I, I mean, I, I I thought about buying one because I thought it was
2: fun. I resisted the temptation to look at that. But uh, I saw other people's comments about that. All
1: I'm saying is this. That there are problems that we can... By the way, Sarah Kahn wrote a great piece that she would love for Mockingbird. She's just like, I wish people got this interested in Syrian refugees. <laughs> yeah, well, that's my—that's kind
2: of my whole point, right? You exactly. Know, yeah, in other words, I think if we love the world and we care about the redemption of the world and we care about um, the, the gospel imperative to share the good news, uh, then maybe part of what we need to do is uh, rather than... Uh, <laughs> Rather than spend a lot of time escapism, in escapism to actually reengage a bit.
1: Yeah, I think uh, that there's uh, there's a sense in which uh, you have to be disengaged in the best sense, and that like you know you look at like Lord of the Rings. It's only the ones that leave the Shire that can save the Shire, right? Because yeah. they but but yeah, I think there is a sense also in which uh, there's a kind of purposeful engagement you know a, a an ability to um, seek the Shalom of the city because in it you know you'll find your Shalom that comes like not from escaping it nor from an inordinate love of it that sort of um borders on idolatry but a real right. a proper this is sort of like what you said at the end of last week's podcast on romantic love that that it, it's a kind of proper, like the best attachment has a qualified detachment,
2: right? You know, when all those kids were killed um, up in, in Connecticut, the, the children, the kindergarten, first grade teacher children, and their teachers, um, there was a run on buying ammunition. Matter of fact, stores and, and manufacturers ran out of ammunition because everybody who cared about their guns was afraid, that there might be some gun control after all those children were killed. Well, we know nothing changed really with the gun laws. And to me, our first impulse should not be to self-protect, hoard, build, you know, build the wall, dig the moat. But how can we act transformatively in this world? Uh, how can we look at evil in the face? Um, and always, before we can look at the evil out there, we always have to address the evil within, but live redemptive lives, lives of courage, um, lives that love this world in a penultimate way because we know that ultimately there is a new heaven and a new earth coming. But we have an obligation to live as if it's already started.
1: Uh, Joust and Wilkinson conclude their wonderful little book, by saying, Babylon, into which we may pour our energies here in our lifetime, will never be the new Jerusalem. We don't build it any more than we are at the point or end of the story, the lodestar of authenticity. We can sing the Lord's song, but we don't build the Lord's city. And so the politics of apocalypse is a religious pragmatism, not defeatism, just recognitions that the tensions of this age, as ages past and ages to come, can't be overcome only managed.
2: Amen.